Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing. Hello and welcome everybody to another Motorsport Magazine podcast and thank you so much for joining us today. We need you. Lots to discuss. What a fantastic Grand Prix season. I mean, tyres that wear out in 12 laps. Let's hope that doesn't come to road cars or we'll be changing our tyres before we go home. Uh, We were hoping to have Michael Schumacher with us on the podcast today, the seven times world champion, but uh, sadly he had a collision on the way to Motorsport magazine today. But never never know, we may get him later in the year. We do have with us, though, our Grand Prix guru, Nigel Roebuck, our editor, Damien Smith, and our own Ed Foster, who does just about everything, as far as I can make out. Before we get into a discussion of uh, the season so far, and uh, the Turkish Grand Prix, of course, I do want to tell you about the latest subscription offer. You can save over 23% when you subscribe to Motorsport Magazine, and you will get a free scale model from racingmodels.co.uk. UK. These are great little models, and you can choose from a Ferrari 166mm, a Maserati Tipo 61 birdcage, or the Vic Elford Kurt Ahrens Porsche 917LH. Bit of a mouthful, was it? Anyway, well, the gist of this is that you save 23% on the magazine and you get a fantastic scale model of a racing car free of charge. Now, looking ahead uh, to the month of June, we are organising an exclusive evening for our readers, that's you, to celebrate the career of the three times Formula One world champion Ayatan Senna. This is happening on the 6th of June in London. And we are offering you, the readers, a chance to get tickets for this evening, which will include a special viewing of the newly released award-winning documentary called Senna, as well as complimentary drinks and canapes. Ah, there's canapes. They get everywhere, don't they? Anyway, after the film, I will be hosting an open discussion with Joe Ramirez, the former McLaren coordinator, who was, of course, also a very close friend of both Senna and his arch-rival Alain Prost during that explosive era at the McLaren team. Manish Pandey, the writer and producer of the documentary and Motorsports Editor-in-Chief, Nigel Roebuck, will also join me and Joe Ramirez on the forum. It'll be a great evening, I can promise you that. Now, this event takes place at the Everyman Theatre in Belsize Park in Camden in London. So if you're listening in Mexico, you probably won't be there, but uh, for all of you who do live in Great Britain, I really hope you'll come and join us. It costs £75 for readers, but only £65 for subscribers. And don't forget, this is an exclusive viewing of the Senna film, plus the forum with Joe Ramirez and Nigel Roback, plus something to eat and drink. Not bad. There are actually only a few spaces available, so if you go to motorsportmagazine.com, or call us on 0207-349-8472. You can book your place right now. Obviously, if you're calling from outside the UK, it's 44207-349-8472. Just a word on uh, those of you who do listen to our podcasts. Um, We have discovered, or actually our producer Ed Foster has discovered, that 26 people have been listening to the podcast who work for the U.S. government. Uh, actually, I think they're in the Pentagon, aren't they, Ed? 
not 100% sure where they are, but maybe Obama likes our dulcet tones. Well, they probably, if so, they probably are in the Pentagon because they listen to everything, don't they? <laughs> 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 They're probably listening to your phone as well, I expect. Uh, anyway, this is extraordinary what you can find out these days. So clearly President Obama is in favour of the Motorsport Podcast. They've got nothing better to do than listen to us, Law, have they, clearly? Is so. that what it is? Yeah. Uh, welcome to this political podcast. Um, anyway... We've also had people tuning in from as far afield as Colombia, Thailand, the Philippines, South Africa, Russia, Cambodia, Kenya, and Pakistan. Uh, In total, 88 countries around the world are listening to the Motorsport Magazine podcast. That is truly fantastic. So welcome, everybody, wherever you are today, whether you're in the Pentagon or Thailand or Pakistan. We've obviously just seen uh, the latest Grand Prix of the season yesterday afternoon uh, in Turkey at uh, what I think is a great circuit, actually, outside Istanbul. Some people don't like it, but I think it's a wonderful place to watch a racing car. Um, Shame the Turks don't agree with you, Rob. That's the only thing, isn't it? (laughs) Our editor, Damien Smith, has spent the weekend in Ireland, which explains why he's on such sparkling form. (laughs) (laughs) It's the leftovers of a wedding in Ireland. He might say anything, I should think. Um, Where was I? Uh, Nigel Roebuck. Um, Nobody better qualified, if I may say so, than you to to, uh, talk about the season so far. Um, Clearly, we've got these ridiculous tyres. We've got curs. I mean, who'd have thought we'd have had harvesting in motor racing, for heaven's sake? And we've got uh, DRS. Uh, What's your take on it all? Um, Well, we've had four races. Um... And you'd have to say, compared with, you know, years past, the the action has been frantic. Um, I, 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 I'm, I feel I'm, I'm slightly sort of equivocal about what's happening at the moment, it's, and it's difficult for me because, for years and years and years, I've I've been moaning in print about the the lack of actual racing in uh, in motor racing, the difficulty in overtaking. And now it sounds terribly churlish to say it, but but I mean I'm afraid I'm now at a point where um, uh, I, I'm inclined to think there's too much. Come on, say it. <laughs> Rather like in the in the, well, I mean I wrote about this the last month about the Hanford Wing, which they used to have in Indy cars in the 90s, which uh, you know certainly encouraged overtaking, but made it too easy, um, and therefore it ceased to mean very much. And I th- I, I confess. Uh, I've never been a fan of Kerr's from the start because it's an inordinately expensive technology and for the sake of 80 horsepower for six seconds a lap. Uh, of course, you know, if it's if it's available to you in the rules, you've got to have it. Uh, but I, I just sort of think, well, we went from 3-litre V10s down to 2.4 V8s because Max Mosley decided it was all getting too powerful. Um, it was extremely unpopular with everybody that, because it was very expensive and the drivers felt as though suddenly the handbrake was on. Um, they chucked away 200 horsepower when they came down to 2.4 V8s. And now we spend who knows how many tens of millions to get back 80 horsepower of that for, you know, for, for six seconds a lap. <coughs> so I don't really get that. Um, the tyres... I, 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 you can say it's contrived, and it, and it is. There's no question about it. It is contrived. The tyres are built to a formula, um, but I don't particularly have a problem with that because they all have they all have the same allocation permit for a race meeting, and they're all in the same boat. DRS I dislike intensely because that to me is just an artifice. Um, and it also means that, you know, they're not all competing to the same rules at all times. A guy at the front of the queue, it's, it's, you might as well knock a cylinder out and, you know, give him a V7 for 300 yards. Um, and yesterday particularly, I thought, I mean, it wasn't so much overtaking with the RS. I mean, they were just sailing past. It was all, it was all too effortless. And the idea behind DRS originally was that it should just allow a guy to be able to get on terms with somebody into a corner. I mean, um, to, to play, uh, to play And I thought yesterday, no, this has gone way too far. Let's get the views of uh, someone who's at least 30 years younger than you and me, Nigel. <laughs> at least, uh, Rob, at <laughs> least. <laughs> I actually quite like it. Um, 
It's just, well, the thing is, as Nigel says, we've been crying out for more overtaking the sport for God knows how many years. And you can't uninvent all the development that we've had in aerodynamics. And unless you get rid of all the wings, you've still got this problem. You cannot get close to a car in front. And um, the DRS helps you do that. Yeah, I think the problem we had in Turkey was the, they didn't get the, the DRS zone quite right. And they were passing them before they even got near the braking zone. Um, so I think that needs to be look at, looked at. But the FIA and Charlie Whiting have said, you know, we'll, we'll look at these zones and we'll get, it'll take a while to get right. But it is a work in progress. Um, and, you know, the race yesterday was amazing i loved it you know you didn't know where to look you know who cares in the pits who's you know in the pits changing tires because there's so much action on track um you couldn't keep up with it and what they weren't just overtaking in the in the drs zone um so i mean if it was all in the drs zone then yes i'd be i wouldn't be so positive about it um because the the problem would still be there but Yes, it's a gimmick, but would you prefer to see a race with lots of overtaking with a gimmick, or would you like to see a procession with, without a gimmick? Um, and I'm certainly for the former. Well, there you go. You see, I, I told you. I think all I'm saying is that I think the tyres alone would do the job. And with Kurz as well. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah okay, the two yeah, together. Yeah, you, and, and, you and, and with Kurz as well, maybe. You don't yeah. need the DRS wing, do you, really? Uh, what's, what's your take overall, <laughs> Mr. Editor, the man with the magic pedal? I think what I'm interested to see is whether um, there's a, a response over the course of the next few months from the public that shows an increased popularity for Formula One. If the show is better and more exciting, do more people tune in to watch it? Are more people hooked on the sport? Um, and I'll be interested to see if there's any way of capturing that data and seeing if that, if that is actually happening. Um, if we see a surge in popularity of the sport, thanks to the way the rules are written, it's going to be very hard to argue uh, in terms of a purist approach to the sport. We're all purists, we're all enthusiasts. Anyone listening to this podcast is going to be like-minded in that sense. Um, but if there is a, a surge in popularity, then... Um, they're not going to change. And from what we've seen from the teams in terms of what they're deciding for the new rules from 2013 onwards, they're obviously quite happy with the way Formula One's developing and the direction it's taking. They don't want a, a big swing uh, away from where we're going now. Um, not ju- I don't think just for cost reasons. I think it's more, there's more to it than just cost reasons. Um, yeah, I don't like the, the DRS swing. I don't think it's necessary. I agree with Nigel on that. And I don't really understand a tyre manufacturer building tyres that wear out so quickly. Um, but you can't take away from the fact there's stuff going on all the time on the track um, and it is exciting. But to me, uh, I think compared last year to this year, the term Grand Prix racing has has changed. Uh, I think last year, there was without, without the refueling, I thought there was a good balance between what for a purist was real Grand Prix racing and not having too many gimmicks. And I thought actually the, Jensen said, uh, before the start of the year he thought there was a good balance last year in terms of the number of overtaking moves and I thought actually last year wasn't bad you had some races processional but that's always been the way in Grand Prix racing so um, I think the balance has gone too far but it's going to be the public that judges uh, I'm bound to say Rob what, once something that, that um, um, strikes you about about um, this you know revamped F1 people actually spectators on the spot you know i wonder how much of a clue they have about uh, what the hell's going on well um, I, I was yeah i was with a- so many pit stops which if they're on the circuit they don't see um and you know who's on which tires when and all that stuff yeah. it, it's it's quite a complicated thing to uh, you know, to, yeah. uh, to, to, to watch now. Well, if anyone were to ask, ask me what my take on it is, does anybody want Go to... Go on ask? then. Go yeah. on. Yeah. Um, Fine. I, I, I would have made exactly that point. Um, I cannot imagine being able to watch this, this kind of Grand Prix racing standing on a grass bank at Silverstone without um, having all, lots of gizmos strapped onto me like televisions, earpieces, 
um, electronic lap charts because, frankly, I find it stressful to watch on television. I don't know whether this is because I'm getting old or what, <laughs> but I find the whole thing rather stressful. I, I simply can't work out some of the time what the hell is going on. And so much of it is in code. I, am I in the zone or am I in plan A or plan B or am I on options or what the hell am but I on? I, I quite like some of the code that's, that's okay. coming across the radio. So when, you know, when Michael Schumacher's engineer got on the radio during the race and he said, you know, not, uh, I think it was maybe during qualifying, he said, Michael, remember the magic paddle, magic paddle. Yes. And then, you know, you got this plan B and plan <laughs> C. And I, I quite like that. With the magic paddle. Uh, the magic, magic paddle is the thing that makes <laughs> you run into people. <laughs> I think it's right on that point that uh, yeah. I think we've got more access to yeah. a lot more information yeah. than we've yeah. ever had yeah. thanks to the, the teams working with the TV companies and and, and uh, that's a good thing and yeah. I think but that's, you know it's always been a complicated sport it's never been a straightforward sport and we're getting a wider picture of that now um, thanks to the yeah, the, the radio broadcasts. Yeah. Okay, now, I mean, it's a good discussion. Or at least I hope you think so if you're listening. That's the most important thing. We're enjoying it anyway. Um, let's move on. Sebastian Vettel. I mean, crikey. He, you know, he is dominating the sport at the moment, but it won't go on, will it, Nigel? I mean, it's not going to go on all season. Um, well, you know, I, I, it would surprise me if it went on all season to this degree. Um but you know, you'd have to say we've had we've had four races, so we've got fifteen, or according to what happens with Bahrain, sixteen to come. Um, it's pretty hard at this point to see anybody plain beating Sebastian over over the season, isn't it? Don't you think, Alonso? Well, it's not impossible. I mean, I mean that was you know uh, that was a that was a quite a, a, a turnaround yesterday, and that was after. Ferrari had some tweaks in uh, in Turkey, but by no means you know anything anything major, and major things are on their way. Um, so yeah, Alonso, yes, the McLarens, um, y- you know, who knows, Nico? Look at you know, I know they were in trouble on race pace yesterday, but uh, I think you know Nico's pretty much on top of his game at the moment, and Mercedes are progressing. But uh, you know, in the end. Um, I've thought for countless years the highest paid person in Formula One should be Adrian Newey. Yeah, he, he uh, Red Bull and Vettel are going to have to drop the ball hugely now to to lose the world championship given given the way the point system structured as well. I think closing that gap down is going to be very hard work. Basically, we're going to need um, Sebastian to DNF a few times and have yeah. Weber, Alonso, Hamilton, etc., make up ground on him to keep the championship battle alive. I've I made two bets before the start of the season, and one was that Schumacher would win a race, <laughs> and then the other one was Rosberg to win the world championship. So I won't make any predictions. You're going to be very short point. of money, you yeah. are, boy. At this point, I won't make any predictions. <laughs> However, um, you know, watching Vettel, he is when he gets pole position and he gets gets into the lead at the start, he is brilliant. And at the moment, on the run of form he's got and the car he's got, he is so good and no one can touch him. But I'd, you know, I don't think he is as good as someone like Hamilton or Alonso or Weber in traffic or you know if he's got to make up places. Yes, he's still brilliant. You know, he wouldn't be where he is now if he wasn't. But you know, I think it'll be interesting. The, as Nigel says, these other teams. I'm sure will close the gap to Red Bull, and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when Vettel isn't in that in that position of being on pole position, disappearing into the distance. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what Nigel Roebuck has to say about that. I think it's a good point you make, but um, we saw just on a slightly different point where we're seeing Michael Schumacher having trouble in traffic because he's never been in traffic I mean when he retired when he retired he won everything and he you know I think that Nigel would you agree the one maybe an Achilles heel of Vettel might be that you know he (laughs) mixing it is not his strong point is it well I don't know I mean all right you know there have been there have been incidents but you you know you still have to remember that. I mean, it's crazy. He's won 13 Grand Prix, but he hasn't actually, you know, the kid's 23. I mean, he's, he's, um, he hasn't been around, you know, that long. Um, he has. He's not a disaster in traffic by any means. He's, no, he's, no. he's uh, but I think people like Lewis um, and Fernando are, 
you know, they're, they're more experienced and they're, they're very assertive. Um, and, and probably those two stand out, you know, from that point. I think Nico's very good in traffic as well, actually. Um, but, I, you know, I mean, at the moment, it's not really a problem for Sebastian, is it? Because he's not, you know, nobody's racing. <laughs> 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 and I thought, you know, watching, I mean, Michael this weekend was, uh, I, I didn't know what the hell he was doing half the time. No, quite. I mean, you know, in, in, uh, in qualifying, he, he, you know, he held up Hamilton. Um, and it was almost as if he hadn't really, genuinely hadn't realised Lewis was there. Uh, and, and, you know, yesterday when, when, when Petrov went past him, I thought, what the hell are you doing? Mm, I know, I know. You know, all right, Petrov was coming down the inside and he was semi out of control and he was going too quick to make the corner. But all Michael had to do was keep out of the way, let no, sure. Petrov go straight on and then just continue his own way. Mm. Why did he turn in? Well, to be fair to him, he did it. I'm bound to say force of habit, I suspect. Yeah. Did you you not refer to uh, Schumacher's drive yesterday as as an old lady tottering around Piccadilly's Circus? Well, I thought he he looked thoroughly ill at ease in the traffic yesterday, as if it was all all these young kids around him, and it looked as though it was all a bit overwhelming for him. Um, and I thought it was it was interesting too that you know there's a remark at the end of the race that you know about whatever it was no big joy at the moment. Didn't it? I mean, he that's why he's here, isn't it? Just yeah, to enjoy himself. Absolutely. And and if he's not enjoying it, you know, then, you then well, I mean, he yeah. was second. You know, which, whichever session it was over the weekend, he was second. Yeah. I think Saturday morning. Practice three. Saturday yeah. morning. Um, so. It's it's not that he's suddenly become slow. No, no. Uh, he just doesn't look like a bloke in his element anymore to me. But he, he said he was coming back to enjoy himself. But someone like Schumacher, he's, he's not going to enjoy himself unless he's winning, is he? I, I think that's no, no. And and uh, you, you know the thing that's always stuck in my mind as well about that is, you know, he's gone through his entire career more or less dominating his teammates. But he was never um, he was never very good in traffic, was he? You think about the times when he had to make uh, races from the back of the grid. More yeah. often than not, he would end up hitting someone or someone hitting him. Yes, and, and he was fairly careless about hitting Damon Hill in Adelaide and yeah. fairly careless about hitting Jack in <laughs> Harrath. And in the interests of, uh, in of balance here, it should be said that neither... We're only joking. <laughs> oh, what a shame. I thought you weren't joking. I was going to say, neither, neither Mr. Roebuck nor I have ever been huge fans of Michael Schumacher. I just say that now in, in, in the interest of balance. Um, we've had a, quite a good question from Alistair Warren uh, on a related subject because he is so impressed by Paul de Resta's uh, first season that he thinks Paul de Resta might replace Schumacher at Mercedes-Benz. Damien, it's an interesting thought. That's oh, a very interesting thought. Yeah, why not? I think he'd do a better job than Michael Schumacher at the moment, to be honest. Um, I think. I think. Seriously, I don't think we are going to get him as a guest. No. I've just suddenly thought about that. I think it's probably unlikely, isn't it? Really? I thought. I thought it was a minimal chance in the first place, Rob. Yeah, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Paul's made a great start to his Grand Prix career. Um, he's doing everything that a rookie should do, um, and he's positioning himself very well for what comes next. And. Um, I, I can't see, seriously can't see Mercedes keeping this experiment with, with Schumacher going beyond the end of this year now, unless there's a marked improvement um, at some point this year. Um, I've always been an advocate for this re- return. I was always, I thought, uh, respect to Michael for giving it a go and give him time to work the old magic. But I, I'm starting to wonder now whether the old magic is actually gone for good maybe he needs the magic paddle the magic paddle well, yes possibly an, an age pill anyway <laughs> perhaps we shouldn't do it. Perhaps, perhaps it perhaps it's not not right That's sorry do. quickly the, the other person that Mercedes could call on them is Hulkenberg he's pottering about without a drive a sport for choice aren't they well I mean don't forget if Paul DeResta did go to Mercedes Benz one assumes Hulkenberg would step into the empty yeah, the Force, Force India, seat, Force but, India. But, but, yeah. I think what's also yeah. clear is that Nico Rosberg is clearly capable of being a team leader I think he, even though you know he hasn't won a Grand Prix yet, but that's, that's because he hasn't had the opportunity. I think he's a, he's got the the ability, and he's now got the experience to actually lead the team. So they could afford to bring in um, 
an inexperienced yeah, number two. Yeah, they and he's And he's got the confidence as well, hasn't he? He does, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. If, if Michael Schumacher wins the Spanish Grand Prix, we're all going to look extremely stupid, aren't we? Yeah. Um, uh, I won't, having made a better <laughs> 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 no. okay. Well, the, that's the nice thing about being young, is you can just shrug things off. I like it. Um, there's another question here which I like. This comes from Andy Gearing, and um, it's on a completely different subject, but I think it's interesting because I don't think we should dwell on a man in trouble. I think we've covered that subject. Um, and he says that in light of Bernie Ecclestone's comments about the importance of the sound of Formula One cars and uh, the experiences we've had with the quiet Audi Le Mans car, do we think it's important for sports cars to embrace this view as well? Um, he's saying that in the 80s, the switch from turbos to a- atmospheric cars was a major improvement. Um, he's talking about the noise, okay? Um, Nigel, I know you're a big fan of racing cars being noisy, as I am. Um, we get rid of quiet diesels, go back to like the cars like the Aston Martin. Well, I mean, as far as sports car racing is concerned, I'm not really qualified to, um, to you know, to say. Um, I mean, I think, I do think that the Audi-Peugeot battle is, uh, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. I, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that I always... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When I was a kid, I mean, I, I, you know, I liked sports car racing just about as much as Formula One. Um, and I, you know, like the BOEC 1000Ks at Brands. That came about a month after the race of champions, and it was always a toss-up for me, which you know, which I enjoyed the most. So I, I loved sports car racing, and uh, you know, um, time was, and I and I think the Audi Peugeot thing has, has re, you know, has really has revived um, Le Mans. You know, how, how oh, many how many how many years we had of Audi processions at Le Mans. Um, and you know, I mean, God, Rondo won it one year. You know, it was. <laughs> I thought Le Mans at one point was just, you know, was dying on its feet. Yeah. It was just surviving as a tradition. Yeah. But now, you know, it's it's a huge, huge thing. So I I don't know what to say about the noise. I mean, you're right. I I do I do prefer racing cars to be noisy. And I think, I mean, Bernie made that point recently, and I think he's about Formula One. I think he's absolutely right. He did, right. yeah, he did, that's what... Yeah, and, but I mean, I, I, I think oh, four or five years ago, uh, when Max was uh, looking at the future, looking to the future, considering the, you know, the future of Formula One, he, he called me and, and Mark Hughes uh, from Autosport and asked us if we would go and meet him in London, which we did, and he was bouncing ideas offers to see, you know, what, what we thought, how the public would respond to this or that. And I remember him saying, and he was serious, and he said, would they miss the noise? And I said, Max, yeah, well, can't be serious. He, he said, I, I was, you know, I, I, the noise seems to me to get in the way of the commentator's voices. <laughs> and I said, but, you know, Max, the noise oh, is half of it. Okay, I it, don't... It, it's vital, and I, I mean, I don't know what these... 1.6 turbo fours are going to sound like, but they ain't going to sound like what we've got at the moment. The, the joy of sports sure, car racing. You know, I understand why Bernie's worried about it. Yeah, uh, I think that the joy of sports car racing is that you have variety, and um, for all your whispering turbo diesels, hopefully you'll also have. 
petrol engined uh, cars making noise as we know they can um, the problem Le Mans got is they're failing to get the balance right between the competitiveness of the petrol cars um, and the way the regulations have gone uh, now uh, there's no point going with a V12 you have to have a much smaller uh, engine so you're not going to get the big screaming V12s anymore either so they've got their own problems but Formula 1 obviously is going to be uh, they're all going to be the same and if they all end up if every racing car is quiet, then um, it does dramatically change the it does, uh, yeah. the viewing um, pleasure. I was, I was just going to say exactly what you said just there, that um, the great thing about Le Mans is, is the variation. Mm. And you can sit in the pits and not even see the track, and you can tell which cars are going past. And that's something, you know, we haven't had in Formula 1 for how many years. I mean, you know, you can't... Any Formula 1 car goes past you on a pit straight. If you don't see wh- which one it is, you have no idea. And the only way you can tell is if you're watching on board with a Renault is it's slightly more high-pitched because of the forward exhaust, and, and that's it. And I, I think Formula 1 misses that. Right? Yeah, you know, be great, you know, that's like a, true. That's being true. able to hear a car coming and say, oh, that's the Matra V12, or... Yeah. You know, yeah, in the 70s. That's true. You, you know, you no, had a, absolutely. You had a lot of Cosmos. You had flat 12 Ferraris. The Matra, which never sounded like no other racing engine ever yeah. has. Um, the BRM, you know, the V12, sounded yeah. different from the Ferrari too. And you could, just as Ed says, you could, you knew who was coming. Now, who can forget the noise of the Brabham Alfa Romeo as well? That's true. Wow. No, tears in my yes, eyes yes, in a yes, minute. Yes, yes. I mean, I hate, I hate to say it, because it's something we, we touch on quite a lot in motorsport, but different world, isn't it, really? I mean, there's just, oh, yes. there's no point comparing, <laughs> there's no point comparing the sport of today with the, with. Uh, how it used to be. I mean, it's just yeah. no. But in uh, Le Mans, how is, much change has there been? There is the variation, though. You know, and, yeah. and Formula One, obviously, because of cost, we're never going to have that. But um, I'd, I'd miss it. I'd yeah. say. Okay. Not, well, not if, that I was ever there at the time, but you know, you know <laughs> what I mean. That's, yes, that's we, not no, we do. I think no. I think it's actually. I think it's actually very, very valuable to have a young editorial producer on a show like this. And if you've just joined us, uh, this is the Motorsport Magazine podcast coming to you live from the old people's home of motorists. Let's move on to our final question as we're into the question time at the moment. And uh, this is quite an intriguing question. It's not a particularly useful or practical question, but anyway. Um, Simon Hurd says that looking at the modern gizmo-laden Formula One car, who do we think would be the old drivers best suited to this modern era and who would have struggled? Well, I'll just very briefly get the ball rolling by telling you that when I interviewed Gerhard Berger on this very subject, Gerhard said to me, well, for God's sake, my daughter has to put the television on. <laughs> I can't. I can't turn the TV on. I can't do Gerhard Berger's voice. Anyway, you get... <laughs> I, think we might, I think I shouldn't have gone down that road, but anyway. Uh, We're all on I, fire I, I would suggest. I would suggest that none of them would enjoy this era. Nigel Robert. Um No, I'm sure that's right. I'm sure that's right. Um, I mean, you, you know, if you think back to the... There were, there, there were different gizmos, but, um, you know, in the early 90s, Formula One was gizmo-ridden. I mean, we, you know, we had active ride and we had uh, traction control, we had launch control. I mean, you know, at one point, they even had ABS on Formula One cars. Um, and I always thought it was significant that the two... Drivers who loathed that more than any others were were um, were Senna and Prost, the the two best, because they um, so many of the, of, the, of those gizmos in effect you, you know um, equalised the the, yeah. uh, the cars. They took a lot of tasks out yeah. of the drivers' hands, yeah. and obviously Senna and Prost were better at those yeah. tasks than the rest. So of course yeah. they. Yeah. They resented that. Okay, well, so and I think you know, I think Alonso made a, a fair point even during testing before the year started, that that all these new uh, systems we have the, this this year, you know, they require the press of a button. Hmm. They don't require any no. uh, driver skill. Okay, I think it's an interesting question that Simon Hurd has asked because for me the answer would be that all the drivers who we consider the greats of the sport. Um, would have excelled with these systems because they were all—they weren't just the fastest drivers of their eras; they were also the most intelligent True. and the drivers who had the most time 
to think about what else was going on in the car. So uh, had Fanjo, Moss, Clark, etc., been faced with uh, a sport like the one we have today, of course they would have come out on top still. And what I think what we're seeing now, you still have the top drivers emerging on top. There's no, you know, Sebastian Vettel is a fantastic Grand Prix driver. I think earlier on we were clutching at straws about the traffic thing. I think he's, I think he's a pr- all-round a pretty strong package. Um, and we're blessed with Lewis Hamilton, Jensen Button, Fernando Alonso, Mark Webber, um, a clutch of really good top-class drivers who can take on all the challenges of all these gizmos. And they still emerge as the best drivers. They've got themselves in the best cars for a reason. And that hasn't changed, and I think that's that's a good thing. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd, I'd yeah, that's that's a very good point, Damon. Yeah. And, that, and, and it's a it's a fair point too. You know, Prost and Senna didn't like active ride, but they got more out of it than mm-hmm. other people. I, would, I went up to the Porsche Centre at Silverstone. Uh, it must be a couple of years ago now, and where Mark Webber does a lot of his fitness um, training. I was speaking to a sports psychologist who said that the the difference between truly great drivers and very very good drivers is that the truly great ones can drive flat out using only 70% of their brain, whereas the good ones drive flat out using 90%. And he said that's why you know, people say Schumacher was so good, is because he, he could be on a qualifying lap having a casual chat to his engineer because he's got so much space you know, available to do that. And I think that's the thing with these gizmos. You, know, you see the really good drivers emerge, as Damien says, because they, they can drive flat out much easier than less good drivers can, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah I that's, that's that, a good yeah. point you make about Michael, actually. And, and, and Michael, in his pomp, was like that. And that's why I felt this weekend particularly, he, he looked sort of curious, I don't know, flustered. Didn't, didn't look at ease. Um, and whether he's, you know, not fully happy in a car of this spec or not i don't know i can't i can't imagine he particularly enjoys it because like senna and prost you know in, in theory he loses more by these gizmos than uh, mm. than a lot of drivers well we, I, I think um we've got we've got about 10 minutes left and i think we re- can't really move on to subjects other than grand prix racing without referring to what's happening at the williams team because i i, I know for a fact that uh, there are a huge number of Williams fans all over the world and always have been ever since the early days and they've stayed and pretty much all of them are still huge fans of Williams. Um, Nigel, what's your take on uh, what's going on there? I don't really know what to say. I think if you, I think if you went round the uh, press room at a, at, a, at a Grand Prix and you polled the journalists certainly the, certainly the British journalists anyway most would say that Williams was their favourite team and had, had, had always been um, and I you know people have always had a soft spot for Williams because they title of the team Williams Grand Prix Engineering um, they, they always prided themselves absolutely on their engineering um, and it was always a, a considered a very pure racing team that they they weren't interested in building road cars they weren't interested in doing this that and the other they were just there to race um, and they resolutely refused down the years Frank always used to you know decline to sell any of the team no 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 you know it's my team and etc etc um, and it was it was um, uh, I remember long, long ago, Dennis Jenkinson saying that the Williams team always reminded him of Van Wall. <laughs> uh, and he wasn't being rude in the sense, he wasn't sort of saying they're old-fashioned or anything like that. But he, it's sort of, you know, this bulldog breed thing. And, and engineering. Yeah, and, and, and quintessentially English. So there's always been a huge admiration for, uh, an affection for Williams. Um, and there's, I think, you know, enormous sadness that at the moment is going through what it's apparently going through you know the car sometimes looks potentially quite quick um, it's an aggressive design certainly by William standards it's an aggressive design Very it was what so. Rubens Barrichello was pushing for all last year that we must in 2011 have a more you know a more aggressive uh, a more aggressive car mm-hmm. which they've built the reliability has been awful 
Um, and here we are, four races in, and they, you know, they don't have a point yet. Um, <clears throat> there's a different regime. There's a different regime there. You know, the the, the, the world it's the world changes, and and Williams never did for so long, and now, and now it finally is changing. Um, and it struck me at the end of last year when uh, when they announced that Hulkenberg was going, and Maldonado was arriving. You know, you don't need to be a Rhodes Scholar to know why that was happening. And of course, everybody duly wrote, well, you know, Maldonado's got a lot of Venezuelan money and, and you know, makes sense. And then Adam Parr put out this, responded to that by saying that he found such suggestions repulsive. We should and, say, and that, I, I was, we should say I was, that Adam I, Parr is the chairman, sorry, of, yes, chairman excuse me, of Williams. The, the new CEO of Williams. I was grossly offended by that, frankly. It's all right him saying he found it repulsive. Does, is there anybody in Formula One who doubts that it's, that it's the case? So uh, that would never have happened to Williams at one time, something like that. Ed, give us, an, give us another take on um, the current position at, at the Williams Formula One team. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a team we all love and it's very sad that it, that it is struggling at the moment. Um, you know, teams ebb and flow, and, and they have peaks and troughs. You know, that's 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 been like that throughout history. But you know, Williams is going through a particularly low patch at the moment, and something needs to be done. Um, you know, what the lack of speed is down to? I, d I don't know whether it's it's just the you know certain people in the team or the structure of it or sort of how it functions. You know, I, I don't think anyone can pinpoint that. It's probably a, a selection of all of them. But you know, if Yes, everything's up in the air at the moment, especially with the, with the team going public. But if these things help Williams get back to the front of the grid, then I'm for it. But, yeah, I mean, t time's going to tell, isn't it? I would say that a team restructure is in order. It's not working. It's clearly not working. Something's not, not, not been working there. Obviously, the, in terms of finances, um, they haven't got what they used to have. They don't have a works engine package anymore. Um, but even so, I think a new approach wouldn't do any harm. I think the thing I'd question is, uh, is Mike Coughlin the, the man to lead Williams into 2012? And uh, they're going to be asking themselves that, that very question this year. Um, is he going to actually become technical director and take over from Sam Michael? Um, I don't know what the answer well, to that is. I think that's the plan. I think Mike Coughlin joins in June and... Uh yeah, as chief engineer, as chief engineer, as chief engineer presumably with them in mind to become technical director, one imagines. That seems to be the logical step, but as I say, is he better choice than than uh, than Sam Michael to to, well, to lead the team? Exactly, I'm I'm very sad about Sam, and I think uh, I think you know a lot of people are saying you know he's a scapegoat. Uh, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I, one thing I've no doubt about at all is that he's worked his Balls. Balls off for Williams. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think if, if I've come across an overworked man in Formula One in the last 10 years, it would be Sam. What do we think about Coughlin coming back to the sport? Anyone, anyone got a problem with that? I certainly don't have a problem with that. I think that he must, unless he's a total idiot, he must have learnt a very big lesson. And he's a very clever engineer. Uh, ask anyone at McLaren. I don't. I don't have a problem with it. I wouldn't have a problem with Pat Simmons coming back or anybody. Well, I mean, not Pat. Absolutely not. But uh, Flavia, mm, not sure. But <laughs> I, I think. I, well, no, I mean, I don't. You know, I'm not. Well, I, I'm not I, qualified I, to say. But I, I just how think. About Max? That, I, I'd be happy to see Flavio back. Fine. I mean, I, 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 Flavio is a very entertaining character. So let's have him back. Fantastic. But I. I. I well, no. The answer is no. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> No, you, you, serve, you serve your time and then, uh, you yeah, know, you put it yeah. behind you, don't you? Yeah, so. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Okay, look, a few minutes left now. Um, let's just quickly whiz around the world to um, get a, a bit of a take on what's going on in motor racing because, let's face it, you know, Formula One's only a part of motor racing. Um, World Rally is looking fantastic. I mean, wow, it's gonna, I think it's going to be very... We've got Ogier challenging Loeb. Uh, we've got the Mini coming in and looking, you know, I'd say pretty 
Good potential. Yeah. No, we're not going to ask you, Nigel Robot, because we know you know nothing about rallying, so don't worry about it. Relax for a minute. Well, I watch it on TV. Yes, but you don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Ed Foster. Can't um, talk about putting pressure on good, me now. Good, good championship. Yep, so far. Uh, yeah, so far it looks great. Um, and it's it's great that Loeb isn't winning every single round like yeah. he used to. Yeah. Um, what I did think was quite surprising was on the Minis World Rally Championship debut, it, Danny Sordo finished sixth in it. And it was, you know, setting very fast times throughout the rally. And OK, I mean, ProDrive has, you know, it, it's very good at what it does. And we, we know how good it is at making a proper rally car. But that was surprising. I mean, you know, in any championship in the world at that level to come in and compete on a par with existing teams is, is a right. sign. Is a, well, it's a very well, good sign. David Richards and ProDrive, they mean business. Yeah. They, they do, yeah. And, um, you know, ProDrive have great history in rallying. Um, they don't seem to be doing quite so well with their sports car program. Uh, that seems to be going slightly less mm, less yeah. well uh, with the Aston Martin. But um, no, uh, I think the rally world is is um, much healthier than it was even twelve months ago. Um, and um, I think I'm looking forward to a Rally GB uh, at the end of the year as well, which is a bit more like the old Rally GBs and a bit more an adventure. Uh, because for me, rallying is always an adventure. That's the thing about the sport. Okay, just quickly skipping on um, MotoGP. Well, fantastic as ever, thrilling, amazing, gripping stuff. I'm not going to ask anybody else about that at the moment. Nigel, um, a future Formula One topic. Just quickly, possibility of uh, CVC selling Formula One to Rupert Murdoch's organisation, and it'll be on Sky TV and not the BBC. Uh, well. Um Let's hope not. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, I've always had a problem. I confess, I, it, it's always been quite difficult for me to to grasp the whole uh, idea of quote Formula One being owned by anybody. Uh, you know, it wasn't for most of its life. It was just a sport, um, and it you know then it then it was bought uh, for a hundred years, and then it was flogged on. And now it may be flogged on again. Um, I, of course, I worry about it because uh, uh, I, I remember Max Mosley and his Don King clause, uh, which has yet to be uh, invoked, and uh, I don't understand that either. I mean, I, I, I hate the idea of uh, of, uh, of Grumpy Racing finishing up in in the hands of, uh, you know, a company like um, News Corp. Um, but in the end, the only thing that is surely absolutely sacrosanct is that Formula One should always be uh, free to air. Sustain um, pay-per-view anyway. It absolutely it, can't. It, it tried before. Bernie tried. Bernie tried it, yes. Yeah, with the digital uh, thing in the early 90s, uh, sorry, uh, late 90s, uh, and it didn't work. And uh, you can't take the same model that the Premiership football uh, works so successfully on and take it to motor racing. It just it doesn't compare. But um, I, w- I would have thought Murdoch would be too uh, sensible to um, not to realise that. I think um, it, if, he, if he bought the, the sport, it wouldn't necessarily mean no free-to-air. Personally, I think there's a chance that you know, he would still try and do a deal with someone else to show the sport. But it's all very... Uh, much in the future, isn't it? We yeah, just it don't is. know whether it there's a, a realistic proposition for yeah. CVC to sell to Sky. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, the fact is, none of us really know what uh, lies in the future for the ownership of Formula One. Um, just, uh, Nigel, a quick word from you on NASCAR because there's amazing things going on in NASCAR and it's actually terribly exciting, of course, uh, as so much American racing is. Um, I know you love it, and so it's a good reminder that there's great racing other than Formula One. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing about NASCAR, since the beginning of time, you know, there have always been feuds in NASCAR, and, you know, it's, it's, a, simple, it's a simple formula, really. Someone has you off or whatever, then you leave it about 20 minutes, and then you do the same to him, and that's the way it's always been. Um, and at the moment, there are, there are two feuds going, one between... Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, whom we all remember from Formula One and greatly miss, and Ryan Newman, um, they've had 
hours in front of <laughs> the NASCAR hierarchy, talking this, talking their differences through, and, and appear to have reached no conclusions whatever. And there were suggestions that blows were thrown, and Montoya commenting that Newman fights like a girl, and and, then, and now we have a new one with um, with Kyle Busch and uh, and Kevin Harvick, which. Uh, Finished up at Darlington this weekend with uh, the Harvick aiming a punch into uh, through Carl Busch's window at the end of the race, having vacated his own car. Of course, these things don't have handbrakes, so Busch then drove into Harvick's now empty car, and it made its own way into the pit wall. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you can you know it's all very theatrical and everything else, but. Uh, it, you have to say it, you know it's hugely entertaining <laughs> and and it's and it's it's i suppose also you know it's a it's a world away from the uh, you know the carefully controlled pr machine that we uh, you know that we have in formula one so a it's, planet, it's, it's I very, would very refreshing yeah. <laughs> well yeah. good i mean i i guess that's entertaining from our uh, editor-in-chief yeah uh, well he and i are both huge fans of nascar so i know lots of you are listening in the united states of america in or out of the pentagon so um what i'd like to do ed foster our producer is later this year i'd like to do a nascar podcast and that's what i'd like to do um right well, that's it. Uh, let me just remind you, um, you've been listening to the Motorsport Magazine podcast from London, England. And uh, we'll be back in a few weeks' time with another one. And we very much hope to have a guest on the next podcast. Um, in fact, we'll, let's say we will. Um, don't forget, if you want to subscribe to Motorsport Magazine, it's well worth doing. You save over 23% and you get a free, totally free, scale model racing car, a Ferrari, a Maserati, or a Porsche. Take your choice. And please, uh, if you do want to come and see us all on June the 6th in London for the private showing of the Senna film, the new film about Ayrton Senna, then uh, go to motorsportmagazine.com or call us on uh, 0207 for London, obviously, 0207 349 8472 a book your place right now it's going to be a great night i'll be there nigel robot will be there damien ed will all be there and we'll be joined by joe ramirez uh one of the most memorable figures at the mclaren formula one team in recent years and a very close friend of senna and prost so we hope to see lots of you there uh, meanwhile, thank you very much to Alan Hyde, who's uh, engineered our program today, to Ed Foster, who's produced the whole thing for us, to Nigel Roebuck, to Damien Smith, and it's goodbye from me, goodbye. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing.